the brother of Jesus, whose name was James, in the third chapter of his little book, is reflecting upon things that are small and the enormous influence they can have. Influence that is far beyond the proportion of their size. He first starts thinking about something called a bit, a small little two-inch steel bit in the mouth of a horse. 1,500-pound stallion can be directed to the left or the right by just little two inches of steel. He goes, wow, how amazing. Then it says in the scripture, he thinks about a first-century ship. First-century ships weigh about 400 tons, can weigh that much, 400 tons, half the size of a football field. And there's something under the stern of the ship called a rudder about the size of the front door of your house that directs where it can go. And you go, wow, how, what an impact. Then his mind goes on this little thing called a spark. And how one little spark can set off this, this massive fire. In 2009, there was a massive fire in West Texas, one little spark. 25,000 acres. You know the sparks. You got your little far, your sparklers on July 4th. These little blue dots dancing in the sky. One little spark. And he's reflecting upon these things. These, these how small things have such a huge impact. And then his mind goes to the human tongue. He says, wow, there's nothing that has so much influence, he says in the scripture, than the human tongue. It's so small. I mean, it weighs less than three ounces. Normally, it's not longer than four inches. And yet it says nothing has the size-to-impact ratio than the human tongue. In the mouth of Adolf Hitler, the human tongue incited something we call the Holocaust in World War II. Thousands of lives destroyed. Changed the whole course of human history. In the mouths of a man named Nelson Mandela and a man by the name of Martin Luther King. It ended apartheid and began something called the civil rights movement. And so James here, the brother of Jesus, reflecting upon all these things, and he kind of makes an outlandish statement, is that the tongue, there is nothing in nature that is more powerful than the tongue, that has more opportunity for influence for good and for bad. And we all have one. That is the problem. And that is the opportunity. So is it any wonder that the wisest man who ever walked on the face of this earth, Solomon, in his book we call the Proverbs, has a lot to say about the words that come out of our mouth off of our Tongues. And the influence and the impact those words can have. Before we go into Proverbs, I'll just kind of ask you a, a question for you to think about. Uh, I wonder if you've done a research to know about how many words on average does a human being speak a day? Now, last night I asked that question. The person sitting right here on the front row said, are you asking male or female? <laughs> it was a woman who asked that question. Just so you know, it was a woman who asked that question. 
And all the research shows that there is a disparity, a gap between the amount of words that come out of the mouth of a man and out of the mouth of a woman. There is. But let's have a gender neutral number, okay? Let's, a gender neutral number. And that number would be 10,000 words a day. Now, I don't care if you're male or female, that's a lot of words coming out of a person's mouth. I am in my office with a couple who's having some communication issues, and they're talking about communication and about talking, about the words they say. And the husband says, it's not so much that my wife talks too much, it's just that she only wants to talk in the last few minutes of an NFL playoff game and right when I'm drifting to sleep. He called it Chinese talking torture. We're going to go to the Word, book of Proverbs, Mrs. Notes, and see what Solomon has to say about the tongue and the words that come off of it. We'll begin in Proverbs chapter 10, but with our first thing, he's going to say, let my words be few. Let my words be few. Proverbs chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, and we'll walk through at several different passages. It says, sin is not ended by multiplying words. In other words, the more you talk, you don't sin less. But the prudent hold their tongues. Wise people don't talk as much. Proverbs 17, verse 28. 17, 28. It's seven, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. In other words... If you want people to think you're smart, just kind of look at them, just kind of, mm -hmm, just listen, kind of, mm -hmm, they'll think you're wise. And discerning if they hold their tongues. Proverbs 21, verse 23, 21, 23. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. In other words, the less you talk, the fewer problems you might have. Let my words be few. Several years ago, I was a part of a local board of directors of an organization that was kind of trying to right the ship. And the board meetings were very high dramatic. And the board was kind of in trouble. The organization was kind of struggling. And there were, everyone had all these wise ideas about how to make things right. And there, they would have these very contentious conversations and, and often there'd be somebody who would get the floor and they would stop talking. They would start talking. They would not stop talking. And they had these volume, massive volumes of wisdom to share to solve the problem. And they wouldn't give up the floor. And sometimes they would take a breath in their talking and somebody else would start talking when they took a breath. And they would do the same thing. They would just talk and talk and talk and talk. This is the answer. This is what we got to do. And there were other folks on the board who were trying to speak. But they never could even get in there. This went on for months. And we were not making any progress. So the chair of our board got very wise and brought in an outside consultant to kind of help us because there were no solutions being found. And so the consultant comes and observes us in the morning for a couple of hours. We have lunch, comes back and gives us feedback about the experience. Now, there was a lot that was shared. I just want to show you the heart of a couple of things that I have never forgotten from this little encounter. He said in all boards, there are quick talkers and there are slow talkers. The quick talkers are the people that in every conversation, 
They just feel the need to express every idea, every thought that comes into their head. They have to speak it. They have to say it. Then there are the slow talkers who have as much to offer and is just as smart as the quick talkers, but they're intimidated by the quick talkers. And so they just are quiet. This is not just true in board meetings. This is true in marriages. This is true in families around the dinner table. This is true in small groups when Bible studies or your small group in your home comes together. And so this consultant, he makes these observations. He says, I have written down here the names of all the people on your board that are quick talkers. And instead of me calling out their names, your names, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and identify yourself. In other words, turn yourself in. You know who you are. So he said that, and they most raised their hands. He said, yes, good, 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 good. See, now I have on my list two more names who did not raise their hands. And instead of me identify them, I'm going to ask the group for you to identify the quick talkers yourself. Awkward. <laughs> but we, we did it. We got it. We got it done. Now, when that was over... He turned to the quick talkers. He said, quick talkers, you must self-regulate. If this board is going to be successful, it's got to have the participation of everybody around the table. Then he turned to the slow talkers. Slow talkers, you have got to step it up. You have got to get in the game. You have got to open your mouth and participate. They need you. Goes back to the quick talkers. Quick talkers, you must practice self-awareness. You must learn how to keep up with the number of words coming out of your mouth. And when that little buzzer goes off, that you know you have been talking for a long period of time, stop talking. Now, as we've been preparing for this message and these, these scriptures here and and think about this particular point, this particular part. I've been thinking about the application for us. And so for their, their true worth, if you're online, I invite you to participate in this way, what we're about to do. I'm going to ask for application purposes for anyone who thinks they are a quick talker, would you please turn yourself in and raise your hand? Raise your hand, quick talkers. Okay, you know who you are. This is a time in church you can jab the person next to you if they're not telling the truth, right? Because you know in your households, you know. Okay, who is that? All right. Now, okay, you can put your hands down. Slow talkers, I'm going to give you seven seconds to process this. Okay? I'm just going to give you a little bit of time. You know who you are. Are you ready, slow talkers? If you're a slow talker, would you raise your hand, turn yourself in, just admit it before God, you're a slow talker. Okay. Thank you. Quick talker, Solomon would say, Solomon would say, let your words be less. Think before you start talking and talking and talking. Practice self-awareness, he would say. 
Practice self, practice self-awareness. And if you're not sure if you talk too much, ask a trusted friend for feedback. Say, do I trust, do I talk too much? If it's a good friend, they'll tell you. Ask them to hold you accountable. And if you're someone who's environmentally conscious, just consider talking less, you are decreasing your verbal footprint on the world. <laughs> it's your contribution to society, to less pollution, right? To just not talk as much. And slow talkers, please listen. You blame it on your personality. Hey, this is the way God made me. Okay. But God has given you a mind and a heart with thoughts and feelings. And your thoughts and feelings need to be shared in the marriage. They need to be shared in the family. You have a contribution to make. And your family, the board, where you work, it is less because you keep that stuff to yourself. Get into the game and open your mouth and talk. For some, let my words be few. For some, just let there be words. Second one, let my words be true. Solomon would say, let my words be true. Proverbs chapter 12, beginning at verse 22, 12, 22. It says, the Lord delight, detests, detests and lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs 25, verse 18. Proverbs 25, verse 18. This is a powerful verse. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. There is so much more. Where Solomon talks about the value of truth-telling and the consequences of lying, not truth-telling. So I, it's after work, it's late, I'm going home, I'm walking to my car, open up the door, about to get into uh, the car. This woman comes running up, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, ring my hand like this, hand like this. she got a ring on her finger, wants me to see it. So, oh, you got a ring, engagement ring? Yeah, I just got engaged, so excited, really? Well, who's the guy? She told me I didn't know, she told me. And uh, I said, well, tell me about the guy. When are you getting married? All that sort of stuff, you know. What do you love about him? On and on and on. Well, I just kind of make him small talk. Well, what do you like least about him? Well, he lies. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and I was just kind of came out. I thought she was being joking. So I kind of sarcastic, you know, just kind of. But she said, no, uh, it really bothers me. I closed my car door and said, can we talk for a second? Do you have a minute? I said, you're going to get married. I said, lying is really a problem in marriage. In fact, it's a big problem. It's a huge problem. And so we talked about that a little bit. And so I heard she had a counselor. She had revealed that. I said, will you promise me you'll go and talk to your counselor about this and tell your counselor this? And I will, I will, I will. So, so she did. I guess she did because I saw her a few weeks later after worship. And she came walking up and I could tell she didn't have a ring on. 
And I said, oh, so, she said, yeah, I gave it back to him. I said, well, how do you feel about it? I feel good. I said, great, I'm proud of you, good job. I said, how did, how did he feel about it? How did he, how did he deal with it? She said, oh, I guess okay. And I said, he's dating somebody else and thinking about moving in with her. Now, somebody tell me, how do you think that relationship's going to go? Anybody? How, how do you think that's going to go? See, if Solomon were here, and he had the microphone, and I'd say, Solomon, would you please share with my friends and family? He would take the microphone, he'd say, listen, whatever you do, whatever you do, let your words be few. And then I think he would say, well, let every word that comes out of your mouth, let it be true. Even if the truth hurts. Even if your boss doesn't want to hear the truth, even if your friend doesn't want you to mention the truth, let it be true. And then I think he would also say, parents of small children, if your kids are on a pattern of lying, and you know the difference between lying and exaggeration, I'm not talking about imagination. I'm talking about a pattern of lying. I think he would say, you got to nip that in the bug right now when they're small, when they're small, when they're young. It's, it's consequence time. It's having a conversation time. It, it's even wait till your dad gets home time, even though I'm not a fan of that concept. <laughs> because he would say that when you get older, all the research shows that if you're a chronic liar as an adult, it started as a child. And Scripture says in Psalms, Psalms says, protect yourself from those who lie. He says, don't hire them. If they get on your payroll, somehow you got to find a way to get them off. Don't date them. Don't marry them. Don't do business with them. Don't play golf with them. <laughs> Don't go fishing with them. They'll always have the biggest fish. In light of what's going on, in our political and national world. I was sent this quote yesterday from a tweet from John Piper, who is a pastor, which was a prayer, which I thought was appropriate. And I want to share this with you, and then I'm going to add my own to his tweet. And here it is, a prayer to God. God, do not let a good man be destroyed by lies, and do not let a liar get on the Supreme Court. I would add to that, God, do not let sexual assault victims be victimized again by liars, and do not let sexual assault liars victimize the innocent or silence real victims. Now, I don't know how you're praying, but I ask you would pray this week that the truth sets everybody free in our nation. Let your words be true. Let your words be few. And let your words be gentle. Gentle. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. Look at verse 1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word, it stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, verse 4. 
It says the soothing tongue is a tree of life. Hey, parents, let me just ask this question, parents, particularly parents. Do your kids think of your tongue as a tree of life in their life? That when you speak, a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16. Go to Proverbs 16. Verse 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Proverbs 22. One more. Proverbs 22, verse 11. 22, verse 11. It says, One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Here's what Psalm is saying. Let your words be few. Let your words be true. And let them be gentle. Because if your words are crude, because if your words are devaluing, because if your words are harsh, if your words are incendiary, The outcome is 100% predictable. There's going to be an old-fashioned shouting match with wild accusations, head bobbing, pointing fingers, door slamming. Anybody ever seen one of those? They are not pretty. They're ugly. Anybody ever started one of those? Solomon would say, not cool. An old-fashioned shouting match is started by a disagreement. Two people, three people, five people, two groups of people, disagreement. And there's an issue. And they cannot agree on the issue. And so when they get frustrated... You get frustrated that the other person is not listening to what you have to say and you can't get your point across. All of a sudden, you begin to elevate the amperage, the volume of what you're saying. And then you increase the intensity of your words to be more sharp, to be more cutting, to be more demeaning, to be more hurtful. And in your back pocket, usually in these situations, there's a word you have that you want to speak, but you don't speak it. You just kind of, there's a word. There's, there's a word. And it's a word I want to call, it's a verbal hand grenade. It's a word that you know when you say it, when it comes out of your mouth, it's going to stop the whole conversation. So it's frustrating, right? It's building, it's building, it's building. You can't take anymore. It, you want it to be over with. And so you reach in your back pocket. You take out the word. You pull the pen. You launch the word over the wall. It lands. Wow. Intended effect happens. Silence. Somebody gets up, slides the table away from the table. 
goes toward the door, walks out, slams it. You're left there sitting there all by yourself. Now, if there's anyone here in the room, anybody on True Worth online watching, if this is you, if this is you, if this is how you manage conflict, if this is how stuff goes in your life or where you work, where you work, let me just ask you a very simple question. How's that working for you? How's that helping the office place, bosses? How's that helping the family dynamics? Is it helping? And the other question I would ask, if you're that person left sitting in the room, how often do you feel like, oh man, I gotta go make that right. I've gotta, I've gotta go fix that. I gotta, uh. Now I'm not pointing fingers. I can point the finger at me. I've done there, been there, done that. My wife's in this service. I gotta tell the truth. She's in this service. I, I could think of times in our relationship where things weren't really going well. We're having a conversation, and it's not really an intense conversation. She just asked me to do stuff. Well, hey, have you done that? Will you do that? You know, just stuff. And finally, I kind of get to a point. I, I said something, and, and I can't believe you said that. Oh, I know it. Will you please forgive me? Well, yeah, I'll forgive you. But where'd that come from? Why'd you, why, why'd you say that? Uh, I remember one time in particular, one of our sons heard it. Later on, he said, Dad, that was not cool. I said, I know. You don't have to rub my face in it. I know. Parents, can we just all be on notice? Our kids are listening. Our kids are watching. And they will repeat our behaviors in their own relationships down the road. Solomon would say, let your words be gentle. I want to give you three words that my dad taught me. These are gentle words that when you're in a conversation, you're in a conflict and things aren't going well or you're going to have a hard conversation with someone, I want to give you three words that my dad taught me years ago that just proved very helpful to me. Here are the words. Help me understand. Somebody needs to write that down. Help me understand. Just very simple words. Help me understand. Parents, okay, parents. You have a son, you have a daughter, teenager, right? And you go to them and you say, Priscilla, John, Fred, Mary, whatever the name is, can you, can you help me understand why our phone bill is $500 this month? Can you help me understand? You know, spouses, this would be really good for spouses. You know, you have the, the laundry hamper there. You got the dirty clothes over here on the floor seven feet away. So you walk in and you go, honey, can, can you help me understand? I know it's a long way, seven foot. But can you help me understand why they can't? Just help me understand. And be quiet and listen. Just bosses, bosses, supervisor, own a business. Go, go to your employee. What are you? Hey, hey, Fred, can you help me understand? I, I've had five people under you, five people I put, put for you to lead, and all five of them have quit. Can you help me understand? There are power, there's power in those three gentle words. When you're not sarcastic, not sarcastic, but you're sincere. Hey, help me. And what you're doing is you're inviting a conversation. You're inviting a conversation. You're not being on the offensive and you're not being defensive. And all of a sudden now you can talk about it. I just wonder how different this whole Supreme Court situation would have gone 
If somehow in the conversations, the left, the right, wherever you are, they would have just been asking questions. Hey, listen, can you help me understand? Oh, the others, help us understand. I mean, just have some, and then listen to what people are saying. Help me understand. Hey, I think in, our, in two years when we have our presidential election again, they have all the nominees. I'm saying no narrator, no a debate kind of leader. Just get all of them up there. And the only thing they can say, sit in a little easy chair and talk and say, hey, can you help me understand, uh, Mary, why you believe this or why you would do that? Hey, Fred, why would you? And just listen and we would actually understand something instead of all this. It would change the world. I really believe that. If we could all learn those three little words and use them in all sorts of situations. I know there are some of you here in worship sometimes, uh, and maybe even this morning, you ask this question of me. You say, uh, Rick, help, help me understand why you preach so long. I know some of you think that. I know you do. I've got your emails. And I will tell you, I think sometimes, I, I think sometimes the same question. Help me understand why it takes you so long to learn. If you would just get it quicker. Yeah. So, but, but now we can talk about it, right? We can talk about it. I'm just saying, it just opens the door for a meaningful conversation. So there's one more. There's one more. All right, can, can you handle one more? Can you handle one more? Okay, we're going to do one more anyway, even if you can't handle it. So uh, the next one is, let my words be life-giving. Let my words be life-giving. I'm going back to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. I want to make sure I have Proverbs 10, verse 20. Verse, verse 20. It says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. But the fruit of the wicked, man, it's no value. Proverbs 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18. It says, the tongue of the reckless pierces like swords. But the tongue of the wise, it brings healing. It's life-giving. Proverbs 16, verse 24. 16, verse 24. Here it is. It says, gracious words, we just want to go. Gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. We have one more, but it's not a proverb. We're going to put it up on the screen here. Ephesians 4, 29. Would you please read with me the first part of this verse, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, the first line. Say it with me. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let that phrase sit there for a second. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I wonder how many of us here in the room, you think back, you were raised in a home where profanity filled the air in every conversation just kind of like a conjunction. That was not my experience. But I know there are many, that's the environment in which you were raised. How many were like me, and when you were growing up, you worked in environments where vulgarity was just all over the place, just very commonly just throughout there. When I was in college, I worked my way through college, uh, many different ways. Graveyard, digging graves was one of them, and also framing houses. And in those two industries, a lot of the people that I worked around very, just very, I mean, let's put it this way. Profanity was their first language. English or Spanish was their second. So you understand. And I was a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home and gave my life to Christ at 16. So I knew about language. And But just because I was in that environment all the time, 
every once in a while, in the wrong setting, a word would come out of my mouth, and it would, I'll go, oh, man, I'll be so embarrassed. I would feel so, oh, that that unwholesome word came out of my mouth. Because when you're around sort of folks, you say, sometimes it kind of, what goes in comes out. I remember one time I'm, I'm preaching, I'm teaching up here like this, and um, I was trying to connect with people that are unchurched, and if they don't believe in God, and I want you to know you're welcome here. If this is you, you're welcome here. And, and so I was trying to use very non-churchy language, and, and a, a word came out of my mouth that was slang, but it reflected kind of like a profanity word. And when it came out, I went, oh, man, I shouldn't have used that word, but I just went on. And, and a lady came and saw me, and a lady really not loved me. Let's say, Rick, man, I hurt, you know, last weekend. I know. And she said, that just didn't, I know. I messed up. And so here's what I did. I went and I took and I wrote that word in my journal. And I said, God, I will not. And I wrote down the word. I will not let that word. I'm going to retire that word. It will not come out of my mouth again. Help me, Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, are there any words you need to retire? Are there any unwholesome words that's a part of vocabulary that's not life-giving in relationships and in your children and the place where you work that you want to put to bed? Just a question. We're going to put Ephesians 4.29 on this passage one more time. Please read it. Please read it with me one more time. Read it with me. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If I have any wisdom in my life at all, and I'm not sure that I do, but if I have any wisdom in my life, it's because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because of this book right here, the Bible, which I love, which I'm in it all the time. And we'll look into the camera right now, because I know he's at home watching, uh, and my dad. I love you, Dad. Uh, my dad is probably the wisest person I know. And, uh, my dad is 88 years of age. My dad is an ordained minister. Uh, my dad is a trained, supervised counselor sort of thing, done all that sort of stuff. And all my life, he has just spoken words of wisdom and built me up and built a lot of other people up. And so I find myself in this time of my life reflecting upon all the wisdom, the wise words I've heard my dad speak that I want to speak to other people. And so I'm, I'm going to give you seven phrases of words of life that build people up that I've heard my dad speak that maybe some of you need want to take home and add to your vocabulary. And here's the first one. Here's the first one. You can do it. You can do it. Here's another one. I believe in you. I believe in you. Here's another one. I trust you. I trust you. I need you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. One more. 
I love you. I can only say by the Holy Spirit that my dad learned something at an early age that a lot of us never learned. The words that come out of our mouth, they matter. The words that come out of your life, it makes a difference. The words that come out of your life can change. Your mouth can change someone's life. They can. Your words can cause someone's heart to soar. Your words can strengthen somebody who's feeling weak. Your words can give courage to someone who's acting and living cowardly. Your words can buoy someone who's faint of heart, who feels so, uh. Your words can put a bounce back in the step of someone who feels beat down. Your words can console the inconsolable. Your words can bring healing to someone who is hurt so deep in here that nobody else can see. Your words can bless the one who is the giver of life. Your words can make heaven smile. Your words can make hell run away. Your words matter, Solomon says. And God has given you this little muscle called a tongue. And you get to choose how you use it. I know some of you, you're stuck in some ruts. And so we're just going to do a little practice here, okay? We're just going to practice. And there's a little bit of time we have left. We've got four minutes left before I got... We're just going to practice. So we're just going to practice. So here's, here's the first thing. I want you to say it out loud with me. I believe in you. Say it. I, I believe Not very believable. <laughs> but we'll let it go. I want you to think of somebody in your life right now, in your family of influence, who's lost their confidence, somebody who's kind of off kilter, and they just need to hear someone say, I believe in you. And you're making a commitment before 24 hours, or maybe even before the sun sets, you're going to say, I believe in you. You're going to do that. Here's another one. I want you to repeat it. I, uh, I trust you. Say that. I trust you. I want to tell you something Dallas and I learned years ago when our kids were teenagers. We had three sons. That means there was the first time each of them got in a car to drive or go with someone else. I remember every first experience when they were getting in a car to drive away. And I remember being out in the driveway when they left, all three of them, and I said, Son, Justin, Jacob, James, I trust you. Sometimes my fingers were crossed behind my back, you know, you know, I don't know. But no, I was like, no, really, I trust you. And they say, yes, sir. I got it, Dad. And here's what I've learned over the years, that when you and I set a bar of our kids and tell them we trust them, they want to be worthy of your trust. And they will rise to the level of the trust that you have in them. Who do you work with? Who do you live with? Who do you know that you need to raise the trust bar up to here so they will rise to it? Your words matter. Here's the next one. I need you. Say it. I need you. I know there are some of you never think you need anybody and you don't want to say those words. Really? 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 Your pride? Really? 
I'll never forget years ago, the church was kind of, I mean, we're going through a lot of changes and I was having a rough time as pastor. And I will tell you, I wasn't sure if I have much longer I was going to be here. This is years ago, years ago. So much change. People don't like change. Have you noticed that? People don't like change and there were a lot of changes. And I thought, well, maybe my time here is done and I need to go to another church or go to work with Dallas at her office supply thing. Maybe that's what I need to do. And, and some guy heard about it, heard about this stuff going on and this is a guy I led to Christ. He, he was a coach at BYA, and we started coaching, and I led him to Christ, and his life changed. I got to baptize him. He came to my office. He said, listen, I heard you're letting some people run you off. I said, oh, where do you hear that? Uh, we kind of settled all that down. And then he said, hey, uh, I need this church. And then he said, I need you to be my pastor. I didn't see that coming. That caused me to rethink everything that I was wrestling with, that I was making it about me, my own little pity party and what I was going through. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, church, there's some people in your life, they need to hear you say, I need you. It make all the difference in the course and the direction of their life. Another one, I am proud of you. Repeat after me. I am proud of you. Here's what's going to happen tonight. Eventually, I'll go around to my mom and dad's house and I'll get to visit with my mom and dad. My dad's 88, my mother's 80. And when I get to leave after I visit, probably I'll hear my dad say these words. I'm 63. He'll say, I'm proud of you, Rick. I'm 63. And those words out of the mouth of my father still, men, men, men. Are you too proud? Are you too proud to speak those words to your kids? I don't care how old you are and how old they are. Those words have power. We have three sons. One of them's married to a girl named Summer, and they both coach at BHS. They're teachers and coaches, and their life's off the change. And every once in a while, somebody will stop me, and they'll say, listen, you're my son, my daughter's in your son or your daughter-in-law's class. You need to know. I, say, I hope they're doing okay. Yeah, they're doing great. And, and it's not what they're teaching them about their subject matter or coaching, but they're really helping them in life. And I'll just stop, and I'll say, Summer, I'm proud of you. And I'll text them, Jacob, I'm proud of you. Where'd that come from? He'll say, where'd that come from, Dad? And I'll say, I'm just proud of you. Those words have power. And here's the last one. I love you. God thought those three words were so important, he inspired the writers from beginning to end to put it all throughout the book. I love you. 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 I don't care how deep, deep a hole you've dug. I don't care how far you've run from me. I love you. And when you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit whispers to you every day, I love you, 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 I love you. Who needs to hear that from you? Who needs to hear those, not love you, but I love you. Men, Like you to stand. True worth, watching online. God, we need your help. 
by the whole power of your Holy Spirit to guide our tongue. Help our words be few. Help our words be true. Help us to be gentle. Help our words to be life-giving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reminder, next week our conversation is sensitive. R, M plus, small kids out of the room, teenagers, I'd have them here. Bye.